Uh, If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We are jumping back into our series. We took a little momentary pause for the 150th anniversary. But we're jumping back into our series from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount called An Elevated Life. And as you might remember, we've been tracking through the instructions and the teaching of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, on that hillside to the audience and crowd that had gathered. And let me say, in just the first chapter alone, and we didn't even hit every single verse, but in the first chapter, Matthew chapter 5, we touched on quite a few, really, Jesus touched on quite a few sensitive subjects. He touched on the issue of anger and of lust, adultery, uh, divorce. We heard him teach on retaliation or getting even, getting revenge. And at every one of those points, the central focus was the heart. It was the heart of the person. Some of the actions or the behaviors or the results were really a reflection of what was going on in the heart. And so even in those messages and in those words from Jesus, we heard him say things like, if a man lusts after a woman in his heart, it's the same as if he committed adultery with her. And these were tough words about what's going on inside. Well, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is continuing to take on the matters of the heart. But this time, the subject matter is not quite as sensitive as divorce, adultery, retaliation, revenge. The subject matter is giving and praying and fasting. Now, these are spiritual disciplines that common Christians, everyday believers practice. Spiritual disciplines that are part of what it means to be in a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Giving, praying. Devoting ourselves to the Lord in spiritual fervency. But Jesus had some folks in his day that he actually wants to challenge because they've taken those spiritual practices, those spiritual disciplines, and they've begun to twist them for another purpose. That the heart behind them was not to be in devotion to God or in communion with God, to have intimacy with God, but the purpose was to be spiritual for a show. Like actors on a stage, they were playing a part. They were were playing so that the audience could see them do something to infer that they're spiritual and upright and righteous. Now, I, I don't want any of you to point fingers or raise hands, but let me just ask this. Have you ever been around someone And when they're with a certain group, they're totally different than they're in private. Like when they get around a certain group of people, they get around in a certain situation, like everything changes. Their words change and their mannerisms change. It's like they become a whole different person because they're around a certain group. If you know what I'm talking about, just nod. Now, we also know that we probably are just as susceptible That when it comes to certain groups, we even change. We change the way we speak. We change the way we act. And it can even play out into spiritual matters. I can remember several years ago, 
in our little town over in Campbellsville, uh, we have what they call is the world's greatest 4th of July parade. Now, I don't know what you guys do here in E-Town and Hardin County, but Campbellsville goes all out for the 4th of July parade. I mean, every tractor in the Taylor County is in the parade. And I'm not joking. If you don't have a tractor, you're allowed to come with your riding lawnmower. This is serious. And if you don't have a riding lawnmower, just pick anything on your farm with wheels and you can be in the parade. Go-kart, dune buggy, wheelbarrow, anything. You can be in the parade. Several years ago, it was actually our second summer in Campbellsville. We moved there in 08. But in 09, I was serving at a church there in town as their interim pastor. And the organizer, the chairman of the 4th of July parade was a member of our church. And so he said, Shane, I'd like you to come and give the opening prayer to initiate the 4th of July parade. I thought, well, okay. You know, I'm kind of making myself uh, known here in Taylor County. I get to pray before the parade. Well, I didn't know because I was still kind of new to the community, but the Grand Marshal of the Campbellsville-Taylor County Parade for about 20 years was Mitch McConnell. Now, please set aside all your politics for a moment. Hold off on your thoughts, good or bad, about Mitch McConnell. He just happens to be the person standing next to me getting ready to be in the parade. He was the Grand Marshal. And I go before the microphone, and I'll confess to you, I'm not super political. That's just not who I am. But I started praying the most political prayer I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> I was calling down every patriotic word I could think of, pledge allegiance to the flag. I mean, I was doing everything because he was standing there. Now, I don't know much about his faith. I don't know much about his walk with the Lord. Actually, I don't know much about him at all. He just happened to be the grand marshal of the parade. And by the way, he loved to wear bright red pants. That's all I remember about that day was my stupid prayer and Mitch's red pants. But I changed because of who was around me. I changed spiritually in my devotion to God because I was trying to impress the senator. And, and I don't think I'm alone. Now, there's this great scene in a movie where a young man is going to meet his in-laws for the very first time. And at the evening meal, he's asked to pray. And I wonder if he wants to impress his in-laws or possibly have a true prayer before the Lord. Let's take a look. Uh, would you give him an A for a prayer? Would you give him an A for effort? He's given it his very best, but there's certain... Reality that the prayer may have been a little bit more to impress his future in-laws than for any other reason. Let's hear what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 6 about spiritual practices for show or spiritual practices for God. Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, 
you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Look down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I just wanna make three observations this morning about spirituality for the Lord or spirituality for the other. I think it's safe to say that Jesus assumes we practice spiritual gifts, uh, disciplines, the spiritual disciplines of giving and praying and fasting. It seems pretty clear in these words from the Lord that there is a clear assumption that God's kingdom people regularly practice spiritual disciplines such as giving to the poor, praying and fasting. It's not a if you pray or if you give or if you fast. It's a when you pray and when you give and when you fast. There's an assumption, there's an assumption that we are going to do the things that Jesus mentions. You can see it in the text and in the repetition of how Jesus reflects on these three specific spiritual disciplines. Verse 2, thus, when you give to the needy. Verse three, but when you give to the needy. Verse five, and when you pray. Verse six, but when you pray. And verse seven, and when you pray. Verse 16, and when you fast. And verse 17, and when you fast. There is a repetition multiple times in the words of Christ that it's not if, but when. Spiritual disciplines, listed the three here, are part of what it means to be in a growing relationship with the Lord, to be in a growing communion with Him, to grow in intimacy and in fervency in our walk with Christ. It's part about being obedient as a follower of Jesus. We practice spiritual disciplines because those grow in us spiritual fruit and bear out obedience. Now, you may be familiar with these three, but there are certainly other disciplines as outlined by Scripture. Even, let me mention a few others just to kind of widen the scope. Gathering for worship, what you're doing right now is a spiritual discipline. You're practicing a spiritual discipline this very morning. Reading the Bible, studying God's Word, memorizing Scripture is a spiritual discipline. The Scripture invites us to hide God's Word in our hearts that we may not sin against God. That the invitation to take scripture and to memorize it so that when the attack comes, whenever the temptation comes, we have the word of truth, the sword of the spirit with which to protect and defend and fight back. 
sharing our faith, witnessing gospel presentations, gospel evangelism. That's a spiritual discipline. Every time you feel the compelling nature to share your faith, to lead out in sharing the good news, that's a spiritual discipline that you're enacting. I mean, serving one another and serving our community, serving others is a spiritual discipline. I can name some more. Probably lesser known would be seeking silence and solitude for the purpose of hearing from the Lord. There can even be times when we devote ourselves in mission and to be, sac- uh, to be set apart for a purpose and for a task that is given by God. Jesus mentions three spiritual disciplines, giving, praying, fasting, but there are certainly more. And discipline can, in our minds, be the thought of punishment. Oh, we discipline our children. We correct our children. But actually, the root of discipline is the word disciple. To be a disciple of Christ, to be a disciple who is following Jesus, is one who takes on the call and the command of Christ to practice spiritual disciplines. Because they're going to build our faith. They're going to grow us in The Lord, Jesus assumes that his people are going to practice spiritual disciplines. But that's not actually the biggest, most central point of Jesus' teaching here. He's not bringing to mind those who are practicing the spiritual disciplines in general. He's bringing to mind those who are displaying spiritual disciplines for a whole different purpose, for a whole different reason, for a very different motivation. They are showing as if they are religious and fervent and they're godly for the sake of another purpose, not to grow in relationship with God, but to receive the applause of people. Hear verse one again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Beware. I mean, watch out. Be very cautious about doing the good things, the right things, the godly things for a purpose other than devotion to Christ, devotion to the Lord, growth and obedience, but doing them so that you can be seen, so that you can be heard, so that others can take notice of your so-called religiosity. It's it's clear that Jesus has observed in his day and in his surroundings people who are putting on a show, a spiritual show. He names them. He calls them hypocrites. Now, the word has taken a different track in our day. We will refer sometimes to folks as, oh, they're hypocrites. They just say one thing but do another But the true meaning of it is an actor or an actress, someone on a stage who's putting on a performance, who's putting on a show. And this is when Jesus really lays in to those who are acting. Look at verse two, when it's about giving, giving to the needy. He says thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the actors, the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Watch this. This is how it would show up. In their temples and in their synagogues, often there would be a group of people gathered on the outskirts, on the 
streets leading up to the synagogue and they would be poor beggars, folks asking for alms, asking for money. And there was a temptation that as you walked into worship or you walked into the synagogue, you wanted everybody to see you giving your money to the poor. Oh, look how much I have. And there could even be a jingling of your money pouch and it sounds thick and dense and there's plenty of coins in there. And you're looking right and left over your shoulder to see that you are being noticed when you give because that would be a sign of your wealth, a sign of your prosperity. And Jesus is saying that those folks are not giving with the sense of helping others. They're giving with the sole purpose of being seen. Friends, is there generous people who we will never, ever know about? Yes. But there is also a temptation to make gifts so that your name is in lights. So that your name is noticed. So that your name is the one that gets touted as the generous person. It's temptation. And what about prayer? He mentions again in verse 5 and 7, these hypocrites, these actors, these pretenders. He says the hypocrites in verse 5 love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. He says in verse 7, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. That's another reference to the actors for they think that they will be heard for their many, many words. Uh, you know, they get a scenario. It's something like this, that at the corners of the major intersections in their towns, there would be little places where folks could get up on stools and on boxes and pray publicly so that everyone could hear them. And as they came across the streets, I brought the step stool because I can't reach the high cabinets in my kitchen. Forgive me. I'm 5'8", and some of those cabinets are just too tall. But I brought my step stool. They would get up on a box. They would get up on a, an elevation so they could be seen and heard. So that people walking by would look up to them and go, oh, they are super religious. And they would use all of these fancy, fancy words. If any of you ever heard someone pray publicly and it's like that morning they strolled through the dictionary to find every big word they could ever come up with or all of a sudden their prayer language is very different than when they have a conversation with you now their prayer language includes King James English these and thines and thou's and willest and thou hast I'm not poking fun at the King James Version but as you know, there can be a change in the heart so that the, the prayer is not to God anymore. It's to be heard. It's to be seen. It's to be noticed. Well, he also mentions fasting. And while fasting is not as popular of a spiritual discipline, it's not as known, honestly, it's certainly one that is biblically instructed where you abstain from something desirable food predominantly, but there are other fasts instructed in the Bible for the purpose of intensifying spiritual vitality. You abstain from something physical or fleshly or from this world in order to intensify the spiritual and the fervency with God. And in their day, it appears that 
the actors, the hypocrites, would actually want people to know they were fasting. And it says in verse 16, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Biblical scholars would instruct that they would actually take ash from a burnt fire and put it on their face so that they look sullen or pale. That they would kind of moan and groan, oh, woe is me. Why are you so weak? Why are you so timid? Well, I'm fasting before the Lord. Oh, you must be super religious. There was an act. There was a performance. And Jesus is instructing and challenging us to make sure the heart behind those spiritual disciplines is right. For there are good things for a good reason. Praying, giving, fasting, all good things. All good things to grow in our worship of the Lord, to grow in our obedience to Christ, to grow in the spiritual bearing of spiritual fruit. But there are also good things that can be done for a wrong reason. When we give so that we can be seen, we've done it for the wrong reason. When we pray so that we can use big words and he be heard by others, we're doing it for the wrong reason. When we seek to be people of integrity and honesty, it's for the Lord and Lord alone. The motivation, any other motivation sets apart the reward. Here, verse one, once again, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. No reward. Jesus told a parable about the heart. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, he mentions a story that he wants to tell. And the gospel writer includes a preamble stating that Jesus told this parable for those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They treated others with contempt. Jesus told the story. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get. Praying, fasting, giving, all good things. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Two different spiritual practices. One for show, one for real. And what does Jesus conclude with? He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other one. Four. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who, the one who humbles himself, will be exalted. I mean, when you and I attempt to portray godliness or devotion or religious fervor so that we can be exalted by people, so that we can be praised by people, so that we can be acknowledged by people, so that folks will think greater and higher of us, we have lost our reward because it's not for God, it's for them. But when our devotion is humble before God, seeking to know him more, serve him more, commune with him more, grow in obedience more, outside of the public eye, outside of the notice of anyone but God alone, 
then we truly show our love and devotion to Christ. And that's where real righteousness is found. Friends, the reward of men, the applause of people, the acknowledgement of others is fleeting. Whenever you commune with the Lord, it's for him and him alone. And let me just add a little addendum. You know, those who applaud you today will cut you down tomorrow. So be aware, be cautious that your heart is in the right place. Well, let me close and I'd like to invite the praise team to join me. Over and over again, Jesus refers to secret. Why in secret? He says in verse three, when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Why in secret? He says in verse six, and when you pray, go to your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Verse 17, and when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. Why in secret? Because when we give as generous, gracious, charitable people and we give anonymously or without the knowledge of anyone else, there removes the temptation of it being about getting something in return or my name gets a little bit more known or I become thought of as super kind and wealthy and generous. Whenever we give in secret, then the reward is by God from him and him alone, not from others. And when we pray in secret, I love what he requests or recommends to go into the secret room, the private room. We use that language to talk about a private prayer closet, what would later become known in a movie as the war room. Go in your room, you and the Lord, and do battle for others and for your family. Because scripture says the Father already knows what you need before you even ask. When you fast, don't do it so that people will notice you and think highly of you and be impressed by you. Because when you receive the applause of men, you no longer have received the reward from God. If the reward comes now, then the reward isn't for heaven. There is a purpose and a motivation. The most important thing is God knows your heart. He knows your heart. One of the greatest truths in all the scripture is found in 1 Samuel 16, verse 8. It says, don't be impressed by what people see. People see the outside, but God sees the heart. That's what he sees first. And he knows when our spiritual devotion is for him and for our growth in him, our walk with him. And he knows when it's not because he knows our heart. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. But if you submit unto him alone in those private moments, your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. He knows your heart. Let me ask you to bow your heads. I just want to take a moment in this time of invitation and response and allow you to have a few moments quietly with the Lord. 
more and more I walk with him, the more I'm convinced that he hears every prayer. He knows every heart. And this morning in a moment of quiet, maybe not secret like a closet or in a private room, but right now before you and God alone, would you ask him just to check your heart? Would you ask him to look carefully at your motivations? Would you invite the Lord to strengthen you in the spiritual discipline so that you can grow in your faith and obedience and devotion? And if you need to confess that there has been moments and times when your spiritual life really was just to put on an act, but that you want something real, you want something true, you want something authentic, We're going to have a song. If you want to pray right where you're at, you're invited to do so. You can remain seated. You can stand. If you want to sing, you're invited. The altar is always open. This is a house of prayer. However God's Spirit is leading you, when it comes to your spiritual life, He knows your heart. He knows your heart. I invite you just to lay that before Him now. So God, we come to you now humbly, humbly. We want to be like the one who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We have no interest in being the righteous. Look at me for my deeds and my words. So God, in this moment of reflection and quiet, I pray that your spirit would move. Check our hearts so that we can be right in you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.